Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bichon. So for this episode today, we decided to delve off into horticulture. And Dana, Josh, and I are not horticulturalists in the slightest. We, we dabble a little bit in our backyards like anybody else. But today we brought in Courtney Keck, who is the Canadian County horticulture educator slash agent, for those of you that are used to hearing agent. And... We wanted to bring her in to talk about the recent cold snap in Oklahoma. It's rather historic. I won't necessarily ask her to become a meteorologist today, but it is definitely something that affected agricultural across the region in a huge way, whether it's from animal production to crops, and then, of course, those beloved bushes and trees in our yards that are really feeling the pain. But before we get into that, Courtney, I'd like you just to dive off into kind of how you came to Extension. Whenever we bring in our guests, we like to hear their stories. And, you know, we mentioned uh, earlier before we started this podcast that you're from Arkansas. So if you want to kind of talk about your journey from there to Oklahoma, that'd be great. Welcome, Courtney. Thanks for having me. I will start with where I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in a state park called Devil's Den State Park. My stepdad was the superintendent there, so we lived in the state park, which is a large part of why I'm in horticulture. I grew up around plants and animals. It was either going to be animals or plants. So um, I grew up in the state park and I went to University of Arkansas to get my bachelor's degree there and then came to Oklahoma for my master's degree in horticulture under Dr. Moss. My focus was on water conservation during my graduate research. I went into extension here in Canadian County in 2013, about eight years ago. So what brought you to Canadian County in particular? Was that the opening or any particular reason why you landed there? When I graduated with my master's, I uh, got married right after, and my husband and I moved to China to teach English for a year at a university. All the while I was there, I was looking for jobs in extension because I knew I wanted to work in extension, and I found an opening in Canadian County, and the horticulture positions in extension are hard to come by. So I applied for it there, did my interview over um, Skype got the job and when we came back started working here I can't believe you're going to leave out a whole year of your life in China <laughs> my goodness as a, as a horticulturalist that must have been incredibly interesting oh, and as yeah. listeners of this podcast know we we go down rabbit holes so I want to take one now what was the most unique thing that you experienced in China from a horticultural standpoint you, maybe you have a favorite I think that in general there in China, they pay a lot more attention to public garden spaces. Of course, most cities in China are huge, lots of people. We live just south of Shanghai on the East Coast there. It was just amazing to see all of the green spaces within a concrete city. (laughs) 
So how much different is the climate there? I've heard some parts of China are very similar to Oklahoma, but that's a huge country. So kind of give us an idea of where you were, what what the weather was like, and then the types of things that could be grown there. Where I was was on the coast. So I think it's subtropical climate, if I remember right. And it would be similar to San Francisco. So it was a lot more mild there than it would be here in Oklahoma where we get everything. So the plants do respond to that better. Um, It rained a lot more and it wasn't like torrential downpour raining. (laughs) Yeah, so no like negative 10 degree freezes. No way. (laughs) Yeah, we talked earlier about how good of a buffer humidity can be in terms of extreme temperatures and for plants and yeah. coming to coming to Western Oklahoma. Imagine you have to completely change the way you thought from growing up in terms of being in the state park. I imagine that was completely different, but we'll transition a little bit more into into kind of the main topic here. I have several ornamental bushes in my yard. And it's like anybody else, they were not spared. Now, I'm a little bit different in the fact that that doesn't break my heart like it does most people. Some people put a lot of money into their into their landscaping and, and a lot of concern. So go into what has happened with this recent cold snap. Does wind chill affect it? Because we had pretty bad wind chills and just mm-hmm. and we'll go from there. Yeah, it was a unique event, as I was talking about earlier. We do have a lot of, you know, unexpected well, they're really not unexpected. If you are from Oklahoma and you live here, you know that it's gonna we're gonna get the gambit of everything. But it was, I think, a week long of negative temperatures. Like I don't know how low it got, negative twenty something, mm-hmm. maybe. I think that yeah. was right. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. different compared to where you were. But yeah, mm-hmm. the historicness of it is just the length of time. It was just unrelenting. Yeah, so that's definitely going to cause damage on plants. And um, a lot of our plants that are right on our hardiness zone um, here in Canadian County, most of it's 7A hardiness zone. A lot of our plants that are right on that edge or like a warmer climate, like a 7B, Mm -hmm. even 7A plants, they did not fare well. You see the deodar cedar behind me in my background. The lowest hardiness zone they go to is a 7. So that's why. You saw a lot of damage on deodar cedar. You would think it's evergreen. It's a needled evergreen and um, it should survive cold temperatures. Well, people don't know that that is the warmer climate evergreen. That's like around the Enid area. We've heard a lot of people, things like loblolly pines and with the brown needles. And one thing I've heard that's suggested to people is get over the fact that uh, it's brown. It's not changing back. They'll have new growth, right? But that Mm -hmm. old growth that we've lost is probably gone. Right. It's just a wait and watch. You've probably heard this a lot by now. Um, Just wait and watch. And you can see from the photo behind me that right now we're starting to see some new growth come out of that. Those brown needles or brown foliage that you see on on plants right now, they're probably going to drop at some point and put on new growth. Now, if they are not doing this by, say, May, you probably have a dead plant, need to replace it. So another question that some people have gotten with the bushes and things like that in their yard is you might see one or two limbs or branches that are starting to put green on. What's your advice for those plants and are they going to fill in? If you've just got one or two branches uh, putting on green growth, you could fertilize. Urea would be great. That's a like a 4600. That first number is nitrogen. That's what is going to flush out, put on green leaves. You could certainly do that. 
And if you've got anything on hand, like your granular osmocote, go ahead and put that around the, the root zone. Just apply it according to the label rate. And that can certainly help flush out more growth. Tell us kind of what zones that you can see across Oklahoma, because our people who are listening might be, you know, in a variety of places. So you know a little bit about that. So tell us about the zones and, and temperatures and things that you can see there. Okay, I just pulled up a hardiness zone map. <laughs> um, <laughs> so across Oklahoma, you've got in the panhandle 6A, uh, and then all the way down to southeast Oklahoma, it goes to 8A. Now, it's just a very small portion or the tip in southeast Oklahoma that's 8A. Most of the state is in either 6B or 7A. And according to this map, that means the lowest temperature, let's see, is negative five to zero for 6B and zero to five for 7A. We had much colder temperatures than that during that Arctic blast. So from your experience, are there a lot of plants that people utilize in their landscapes that are maybe in zones, more tropical zones, maybe, you know, into that eight level are just because they're yeah. beautiful during the summer doesn't necessarily mean they're hardy for our winters every winter. Cause I've experienced a lot of variable things. I mean, there's things that really survive here well on average, but then you'll have some, some loss. So what, are there a mm-hmm. lot of people out there that are planting more tropical varieties of perennials and that sort of thing? Right. Uh, a couple of plants I wrote down, crepe myrtle is a popular one. And I expect we're going to see a lot of dead branches in crepe myrtle. They're one of the, the later plants to leaf out. So if they're not leafing out now, keep waiting. <laughs> okay. So in that one specifically, that's one where you can either cut it off or leave it and let it grow from old growth, right? Yeah. If it will grow back from the base, we'll just see mm-hmm. how it was, how they were affected. Okay. But um, crepe myrtles are usually ones that if they have branches that die out, they'll come back up from the base or lower down the branch. Uh, I think vitex will be another one. That's the kind of the shape of a crepe myrtle, but they've got the long purple or pinkish flower spikes on them. Honeybees love those. <laughs> yeah, it's a good... Um, pollinator plant. I I expect that Vitex will be similar to crepe myrtle and have a lot of dead limbs this year because those are both plants that are right on our edge of our hardiness zone. We've seen a lot of damage on pines. Uh, I know Trent mentioned loblolly pines, Um, boxwoods, nandinas, um, yopon hollies, burford hollies. Uh, We mentioned deodar cedars. Southern magnolia got hit hard. And I just had a client recently that called and asked about his Eliagnus or Silverthorn shrub having mm-hmm. um, dead in those. Now with Silverthorn, <laughs> those are pretty vigorous growing shrubs. And so I'm not too worried about them. Uh, they grow pretty quickly and are kind of aggressive. So if you've got any dead in those, you could just cut back the dead and let it regrow from the base. So I'm trying to remember what those ornamental cedar trees, I've seen a lot of brown ones because I think that they're more of a tropical cedar or and they may not be cedars. They might be some sort of pine. I can't, I don't know, but I did cut those down when I moved to my house because I don't like them. (laughs) I've seen some, you know, banks and stuff that use them in, you know, landscapers and that sort of thing. There's Colorado blue spruce that I see a lot and blue atlas cedar. Those, I didn't see too much damage from just driving around, looking at businesses that normally have them in their landscape. It was really a deodar cedar that had a lot of damage 
of those specimen plant evergreen trees that are planted at businesses. How does a plant deal with freezing temperatures? I mean, in a car, we put an antifreeze to keep the water from freezing. Uh, I know all plants do it differently, but it kind of begs the question, how could a plant even survive minus 20 without bursting all the cell walls and just dying? Uh, and whenever parts of the plant do die, uh, what has failed in the plant to, to keep it safe? Um, certainly when plants dry out, uh, if you don't provide adequate moisture before a freeze, that can affect how they protect themselves in cold temperatures. Um, in October, we had a big, you know, the ice storm that happened in October, we had a big um, snowfall right before the ice came. And I think that insulated a lot of our plants. And then we did, I don't think we had that during February. Yeah, it kind of just depends where you were. Some places yeah. had a little bit of snowpack, but it, it was very spotty. I know right around the Enid area, we did have a decent couple inches, <laughs> but again, yeah. to insulate that ground, that, that takes quite a bit. And then the farther west you go, I don't know if Josh, if you can kind of attest to that, what the snow was like out west. Yeah, it kind of tapered off as you went out west. We had probably nine inches, so I haven't seen any on my perennials, but I am in town and protected. Would mulch help? Courtney? Yeah, I was just going to mention uh, when leaves fall in the, in the fall, I, I don't rake them up. I let them insulate my plants and then I'll remove them in the spring as things start growing back. So I, I know people, some people prefer to keep a clean garden, but mulch does help insulate those plants that are a little finicky with cold weather. Could you so. uh, talk to my neighbor about that? Because they, they like to burn wet leaves all spring long and my house smells oh. like smoke. And, you know, it takes a lot to be a good neighbor. And <laughs> I just I just wish they would leave that stuff out there and then move on. <laughs> yeah, it breaks down. I don't know what your opinion is on it, Courtney, but I do the same thing because I'm kind of lazy and I don't like to bag. Well, leaves. no, that's what we recommend. So yeah. you're not lazy. <laughs> OK, well, but I see like it really breaks down, especially even like when I put it just on my garden, there's not a whole lot left after mm -hmm. the winter. Yeah. So. For me, it's a lot of oak leaves and those are great. They do break down pretty well. Earthworms love it. You're going to get a lot of those beneficial organisms in there from that as well. So we recommend leaving leaves, let them insulate and mulch gardens. So Courtney, I don't know how much you do with psychology, but from the animal agricultural standpoint, I'm going to overreact to this freeze event and push mm -hmm. back my breeding window. And I, I don't want any calves in February this next year because I don't want the stress. Do you think there'll be kind of a push for homeowners to maybe look a little bit farther north in their terms of their hardiness zones, maybe look for more plants in that 6B or 6A range, even if they're in a 7, just to try to protect themselves? Or do you think we'll go yep. right back to buying whatever people offer us? Right. I, I think that people are going to do what they normally do. They're just going to replace it with the same thing if that's what they're attached to. And mm -hmm. living in Oklahoma... You expect the unexpected. <laughs> it's just another opportunity to uh, buy more plants. That's right. So, it provides a, a blank canvas again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as long as it doesn't cost like thousands of dollars, but sounds like fun to me. I think <laughs> privacy fence installers will get a little bit of business because that's those are the bushes that have died are the ones that we're providing yeah. our privacy. And then we'll never, well, maybe in 20 years, they'll be back to the size that they were. Yes. Yeah. Unless they, they're clients that have money. 
and they'll just replace them with a kind of mature size plant. <laughs> oh yeah. Or grafted plants like roses and stuff more susceptible mm -hmm. to those freeze events or that's a good question yeah certainly we're gonna see damage on roses fruit trees probably if they're um smaller fruit trees uh, that will die back those are those are the kinds of plants that i mentioned that are grafted normally so you've got the the rootstock and the scion the rootstock is the bottom portion and the scion is the top where they're grafted at the bottom Okay. So the scion, the top is where your desirable fruit or flowers for roses um, happen. So in an event like we've had this winter, that scion portion, the top portion of plant will likely, it could die back to the, to the bottom portion of that graft. And what you're going to see if it does grow back from the base is not going to be the same. It's not going to look, the flowers may not be the same color. The fruit may not be the same same kind as what was on the top that died. So interesting. One of the nurseries here in Enid, their supplier for fruit trees down in Texas was hit hard. So they're having a hard time getting fruit trees in. So I know my wife and I have been trying to get some more fruit trees going and I go to the big box stores to find anything right now. What's interesting is I have a cherry tree in a container because I've been a little bit lazy in getting it planted. And it's budding out just fine, sitting on top of the ground through all of that on the north side of my house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just really, yeah, it's just huh. crazy what survived and what didn't. See, normally cherry trees, at least in Canadian County, are harder to grow because they do like colder temperatures and the summer heat just gets them. Yeah, that's been my problem. Ooh. I've planted a lot of cherry trees and I don't have a whole lot in my yard because <laughs> they just, in the summer, they just get blasted and they're just gone. Mm -hmm. That first 50 mile an hour, 100 degree day really just toast them. It might be an incredibly localized event, as in my yard, but I have a perennial bed in front of my house. And as we came out of winter, I noticed that nothing showed up. And on further, further inspection, I realized that it must have been a hard winter because I, must, I had a rabbit that dug up every single Dutch iris bulb I had oh, and just yeah. ate the entire, the entire thing. Dutch Ooh. iris, different types of bulbs. I mean, they just tilled the whole thing up and ate it all. So it, you might think that they froze out, but in reality, yeah. it was a lousy bunny uh, yeah. getting a meal through the wintertime. So the temperatures weren't just hard on, on us and our plants, but also animals. So they may have um, taken advantage of some of your plants in the landscape from that week of hard temperatures. My tulips and daffodils and everything, they came as normal. I mean, the tulips are yeah. up right now. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, my irises look fine too, Trent. Maybe you'll have to come to my house and look at them. <laughs> are they Dutch irises? Uh, they I don't know what they are, but they're from my mom's <laughs> yard. And they've okay. traveled all over Oklahoma with me. So yeah, they are beautiful, but everyone knows daffodils are spicy. So rabbits don't are like they? those. Spicy? That's what I'm going with. <laughs> <laughs> like cayenne pepper daffodils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a new one. Let's, let's remember to quote that. Yeah, the wildlife specialist might want to come on our next episode and <laughs> yeah. set that one straight. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it sounds like you're saying, Courtney, fertility, if you're not seeing new growth, mm -hmm. it sounds like maybe we just wait and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Patience. And patience. Patience. That's such a good thing. I think most <laughs> gardeners have patience, a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not a patient person as my two counterparts here know, but I, I really enjoy gardening. 
And then it also sounds like maybe we have lost some plants. And so people have to be realistic in, mm-hmm. in what they're going to do going forward. Yeah, we, we talked about a lot of ornamentals, but real quick, uh, do you think we'll see loss of perennials in the vegetable garden, like strawberries or things like that? Ooh, good question. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it depends. If you had them mulched well, if you had straw over them, something like that with your strawberries, um, I, I think they might come out of it. My asparagus has come up just fine. It, it loved the colder temperatures, actually, because it's come up better. <laughs> My strawberry bed actually thinned out quite a bit. I think it's more of a situation like Trent, where I had a varmint yeah. come in. and I have strawberries in a, con- in a container <laughs> on the ground. And they just excavated that container one night. And and I still have one little baby <laughs> strawberry plant that survived, but it is it yeah. looks rough. But yeah, I I've seen that too. It's even like the weed. It looked rough after that freeze, but man, I think cold does things well. I mean, I, I think it hurts us and does plants well in some instances because a lot of other plants are thriving right now. Well, Courtney, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been a different topic and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's sometimes it gets a little bit old talking about cows and wheat. Sorry, associations across <laughs> the state, but agreed. <laughs> we, we we like to branch out, and we'd love to have you back sometime whenever whenever the need arises. But with that, we we thank everyone for joining us today. Courtney works out of the Canadian County office, so if you live down there, feel free to utilize her as much as possible. And then, as always, every single one of our ag educators across the state has at least a little bit of horticulture experience and and they can help you in your local office and get in touch with the right people. So with that, we appreciate you joining us and we'll catch you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.